to restore democracy to Europe, we need to have a proper parliament, a congress, call it what you may, which is the final authority representing the we, the people of Europe, with the capacity to fire the executive. We don't have this in Europe today. We have a European Parliament only in name. Hi, we're back with another episode of PS Editor's Podcast. I'm Whitney Arana, Associate Editor at PS, and with me is Jonathan Stein, Managing Editor. Uh, today we're going to be joined by former Greek Finance Minister Yanis Varoufakis, who is also a professor of economics at the University of Athens. Uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting uh, episode today. Uh, Yanis Varoufakis has been writing for us uh, essentially since he stepped down in 2015, in June 2015, as uh, Greek Finance Minister. And he's covered uh, two topics in general for, for uh, Project Syndicate in his monthly commentaries. One is the future of Greece, obviously, and the future of, uh, of, of uh, the Greek economy uh, um, and its relations with Europe, but also European and Eurozone reform. Uh, and the second topic that he's uh, written a few columns uh, about, all very uh, interesting and innovative, uh, is the question of automa automation and uh, robotization. Uh, and how policymakers should respond, uh, and in particular, what kind of um, universal basic income mechanisms, uh, uh, an idea that's received a lot of attention and is supported uh, not only by, uh, 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 by progressive policymakers, but also by uh, some Silicon Valley uh, in industry leaders who are afraid of basically a revolt by yeah, people who are losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the question is, what type of universal uh, basic income scheme should be set up? Is, are, are there problems with the, uh, the the Silicon Valley version? Many people think that it would, uh, you know, uh, uh, erode the welfare state and uh, and hurt organized labor. Uh, so, uh, well, Barfakis has a really uh, kind of interesting, innovative take. So we have a lot of ground to cover. A lot of ground to cover. Okay, <laughs> let's 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 stop talking and let's give him a call. Hi, Anis. Uh, you're on with Whitney and Jonathan. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on PS Editor's podcast. Um, so let's just get right into it. Um, we wanted to start by talking about your latest piece. Um, you describe how essentially the Eurozone was created under the assumption that economic integration would sort of naturally drive further political integration. But that didn't really happen. And now the Euro is undermining the EU. So you discuss the, you know, the options that have been put forward. Uh, you can't dismantle the euro because it would be too costly. Um, creating a full federal state is politically impossible. Um, and so now we've got Emmanuel Macron, who has presented this idea of a federation light. Um, but the idea here, it seems like it relies on that same kind of logic, that we can push forward economic integration, and that would eventually produce more progress towards a greater federation. You say that not only will this not work, but it could actually leave the EU worse off. And you offer an alternate proposal. Which you call a simulated federation. Right. So, so just describe for us exactly what a simulated federation 
would do and why it's better than uh, this sort of economic determinist, uh, you know, federation light where you, you know, you start off with uh, economic integration and you, you end up with political unification. The Macron idea, which is not just Macron's idea, it's shared by several members of the European establishment, that we need a political union and we, you know, since uh, Europe has always moved uh, step by step in a gradualist fashion, therefore let's start by building up a political union uh, slowly, uh, the Federation Light model, which then is beefed up in the years to come. It seems like a very reasonable idea, but I'm very, very much afraid that uh, in the context of the Eurozone crisis, uh, it's going to be a spectacular failure. The reason why I'm saying this is this. Uh, the crisis that we have in the Eurozone, in the European Union more generally, is a crisis which has hit, it began at the banking sector, of course, like in Wall Street, and it has hit four different realms. Uh, the banks it was the first one, public debt was the second one, the reaction, uh, the instinctual reaction of the European Union uh, institutions and the governments in Germany and France and so on was to go with austerity. The austerity then led to a major underinvestment crisis. We have the lowest level of investment in the history of Europe since 1945 as a percentage of total income. And then, of course, that led to um, social exclusion, to poverty. That's the fourth realm of the crisis. Now, a proper federation, like the United States, for instance, or Australia, would have political institutions that deal with these four sub-crises. Uh, for instance, the U.S. Treasury bill model, uh, the equivalent of Euro, Euro bonds in Europe, if we had any, uh, would uh, do something about public debt. Uh, the Alexander Hamilton idea that you create a federal nation or a federal state uh, through bringing together the public debts of the different constituent parts. Uh, it would also create a proper banking union like you have in the United States, other than the FDIC, the Fed, and so on. Uh, there would be a program for investment in the United States, the military industrial complex mainly, uh, but also other uh, federal programs for boosting investment. And finally, poverty would have been dealt with some like US foodstamps. So this is how it would happen if we had a proper federation. The problem is that we don't have a proper federation. And Macron's idea is based on the notion that we start creating those institutions, but we do not allow them to cost too much. Uh, because if they, if they did, then Berlin, and the, the federal government in Germany would react negatively and would veto it. So the, the proposal is for a, a, a very light version of a federation that would be macroeconomically very lightweight, insignificant. So it would not deal with those crises. But the point I'm making is that the political capital we would need to expend to convince the surplus countries like Holland, Austria, uh, and particularly Germany, that they should throw their lot in with the Federation, including the Italians and the Spaniards and the French and the Greeks, that political capital would be huge. It would be incredibly large. And the fear that I have, and I'm all, it's almost a conviction, is that it will be expended, it will be wasted. 
to create a federation that would not have the substance, the, the macroeconomic significance to deal with these four sub-crises. And this leads me to the suggestion that you mentioned kindly, that what we should do instead of wasting our political capital to create a federation that will not be fit for purpose, why not we use existing institutions to simulate a federation? And, what, and, and now I'm coming to your question. What does that mean? Well, as I said, we have a crisis that takes the form of public debt, banking, uh, low investment and poverty. Those four realms. We can deal with these four crises using existing institutions as long as we redeploy the existing institutions creatively. So, for instance, we can use the European Central Bank, uh, despite its um, severe constraints from its charter, to help restructure the public debt of every Eurozone member state without the European Central Bank printing any money to do it. We could use a combination of the European Central Bank and the European Investment Bank to create a New Deal investment-led recovery project for the whole of the European continent that combines the capacity of the European Investment Bank to uh, issue bonds, investment project bonds, with the quantitative easing capacity of the European Central Bank to make sure that those bonds uh, do not lose their value, even if we issue the large number of them necessary to fund a New Deal for Europe program. We could use uh, the existing uh, accounting mechanisms of the, of the European system of central banks to fund from the profits and the seniorage profits of the European system of central banks a European Union food stamps program mirroring the United States equivalent. So there are things you can do today to deal with these four crises in Europe as if we had a federation, that's, that's the simulation. And my thinking is, I may be wrong, but I strongly believe in this, that if we use existing institutions without spending any of our political capital on a federal project that will backfire and fail, in order to show Europeans what a federation would look like to stabilize a European economy, to alleviate poverty, to boost investment, to deal with both private and public debt, then it will be much easier to say now to Europeans, look, this is what it would look like, see it works. Let's have the conversation we need to have on creating a federation proper. One of the, one of the advantages of this proposal is that it, obviously it doesn't require any treaty revisions, uh, any EU treaty revisions. The, the, but the, que the, the question is, uh, uh, would the, how would this address, and I know this is an issue near and dear to your heart, you're a, a founder of uh, the Democracy in Europe Movement 2025 or DM25, how would, how would this actually advance uh, the idea of democracy in Europe? You have these elites who are saying, okay, we're now going to repurpose these institutions, refunction these existing institutions around a simulated federation. How does that advance uh, this cause of democratizing Europe? To restore democracy to Europe, we need to have a proper parliament, a congress, call it what you may, which is the final authority representing the we, the people of Europe, with the capacity to fire the executive. We don't have this in Europe today. We have a European Parliament only in name. It's the only parliament in the world which cannot initiate legislation. You only need to state that to realize how ludicrous the situation is. We have a European Union Council, Intergovernmental Council, 
that has the capacity to initiate legislation and to pass it. This is again ridiculous. It's, uh, it violates the principles of liberal parliamentary democracy. So what we need is we need a European Union that has a parliament, that initiates legislation where the buck stops there and that has the, cap the capacity to hire and fire the executive. That requires a democratic federation. And that requires a European Union constitution. And you to have a constitution that is written by the people for the people, yeah. we need to have the people believing again in the European idea. So the idea of simulating uh, a federation in order to show to Europeans that Europe can work again in their interests, in the interests of the many, not of few, and of all the nations and the countries that make it up, not just a few. This is essential in order to then have the conversations about what kind of European democratic constitution we need. This also, uh, you know, another key idea, I think, for you with this is that, that the, it's the, the EU should not just have a sort of procedural or an institutional structure, but actual, actually a substantive uh, 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 content, uh, which you've called a new deal for Europe. Uh, and, you know, part of this is the poverty reduction food stamps program uh, that, you've, that you've promoted, also uh, a much more um, vigorous environmental policy transition toward a green economy, an anti-eviction program, and so forth. One of the things that has been striking in your columns for us, and I think very innovative, is your um, proposals for dealing with automation and robotization. Uh, and the idea of a universal basic income in particular has gotten a lot of attention, not only from policymakers, but also in Silicon Valley with a lot of the in industry leaders there who've been proposing it. They've been criticized, their proposals have been criticized because people worry that this is a nefarious way of attacking the welfare state or organized labor. Uh, and you have a very particular take on universal basic income uh, that wouldn't be financed by taxes. And I'd, we'd like to hear more about that, about what your proposal is, why you think taxation wouldn't work. You've, uh, you've opposed, for example, a tax on robots. Uh, and uh, what the future holds for, uh, for uh, the labor market. As is, as is always the case with good ideas, it's important to preserve them, to um, uh, defend them from uh, um, vulgar interpretations and applications of them. So, for instance, I oppose the idea of a tax of robots on robots because, just to put it very briefly, how do you define a robot? How yeah. do you distingu distinguish between a robot and a computer? Right. And a computer and a microchip? You can't do it. Philosophically, it's impossible to do it. Right. And this is not what the tax office should be doing, <laughs> defining a robot right. um, and defining the income that um, is generated or received by a robot. Yeah. So we need to safeguard this idea. On the question of um, taxation, take, for instance, uh, the recent presidential election in France. Benoit Hamon, who was the Socialist Party's candidate, uh, was amongst the first uh, leading politicians in the West that adopted the idea and actually promised to introduce a UBI, Universal Basic Income, uh, immediately after winning the presidential election, if you were to win it. Uh, and you see what happened there. It was fiscally and economically 
uh, and very ill-conceived idea. Because to fund a UBI to the level of something like 700, 800 uh, euros a month, uh, you will need to blow out the, the deficits of an already fiscally stressed French government. Uh, and suddenly, this proposal loses uh, currency in the electorate because it is attacked from the right, from the left, uh, and therefore it, uh, it's undermined. Uh, more generally, at a philosophical and moral perspective, from a philosophical and moral perspective, uh, you, there are many working class uh, people who resent the idea that while they are at the factory slaving away, somebody else is sitting on their sofa, watching television, not caring about even seeking work, and collecting a universal basic income from them, from their own taxes. This is why it's important to safeguard the idea of a universal basic payment and by separating it from the welfare state and from anything that is funded through taxation. So where does it get funded from? Well, the argument that I have also uh, put forward in my project syndicate columns is very simple. Once upon a time, it was feasible to think of capital goods as privately created and owned. A steam engine. James Watt designed a steam engine, built one, sold it to a capitalist. The capitalist could claim that that steam engine was his. He put it in a factory, in a textile mill, and um, therefore he could claim that the returns to that piece of capital equipment uh, were deservedly his. But today, with uh, artificial intelligence, with uh, the robots, with all those weird and wonderful technologies that are the result of common endeavors by hundreds of millions of billions of people, where it is impossible to say who has contributed what to which equipment. Also, technologies that to a very large extent have been funded by state uh, organizations, by research projects funded by the Pentagon, by the, the health system, by government, left, right and center, like you know the contents of your iPhone or Android uh, smartphone, which are mostly developed by government funds. So it's impossible these days to say that uh, Google's returns to Google's capital, for instance, or Microsoft's or Apple's, um, are the returns to capital that is individually, privately produced and appropriated. Um, if that is a philosophically um, defensible argument, then, to put it mildly, corporations do not deserve 100% of the returns to their capital. Part of that needs to go to society. And as automation builds up exponentially, that the percentage of the returns to uh, privately owned capital must be shared socially. So if there is going to be a universal payment income, it better be funded by the returns to capital that is, one way, whether we like it or not, socially produced. Of course, this means that the, 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 at the beginning, the universal basic dividend, as I call it, is going to be very small given that there will be a small percentage of returns to private capital that go into um, a wealth fund, a sovereign fund, 
which is then distributed, those dividends are distributed across all members of the, of, of the population. But as automation uh, takes over increasingly and the returns to the machines, to the robots, uh, become uh, greater and greater, the percentage of people's income that will be due to this sharing of returns to socially produced capital are going to become increasingly substantial. So uh, my, my proposal, and DM25's proposal for a universal, universal basic dividend, is quite futuristic. It's about the future, but it's a future that's not going to take too long to come. Uh, we want to set to, to establish the foundations today so this small trickle of income that goes to every citizen uh, builds up into a torrent in proportion to the wonderful developments that we're going to see in artificial intelligence and allow humanity, therefore, to look as a, at the rise of the machines as something that has um, uh, benefits for everyone. Um, so you've put forward a lot of proposals today, and I know that, um, as you just mentioned, uh, DM25 is kind of already uh, pushing for this new deal and also to, to start to lay the groundwork for this um, universal basic dividend scheme. But in terms of next steps, do you feel, do you, what do you think is, you know, the steps that can be taken today? Do you think the simulated federation is, is one of the earlier steps that would lay the groundwork for some of these more progressive policies? Where, where do we start? And actually, if I can just follow up, if I can just follow up as well, I have, I have a, another question which occurred to me in thinking, I thought about this universal basic dividend scheme uh, quite a lot. And, and one thing, that, and, I, and I don't know how it would be addressed, is it would require a revolution in intellectual property. I mean, obviously, patents and copyrights would have to be uh, redefined in, in a very fundamental way. But, but a, more, um, a more interesting question is, you've, and you've just said that the, the, the returns would be distributed across the population. But who's the population? Apple is a U.S. company. Uh, Microsoft is a U.S.-based company. Why does somebody in Senegal have a right to that? Or how, how, does this, how does this mechanism work? That the people who are really being affected, because automation is going to affect developing countries as well, how do they benefit from this? Well, these are tough questions. <laughs> uh, let me begin with the first question about sequencing. Yeah. Uh, yes, you're right. The, the simulation of a federation is something that can be done within a week. Uh, all it will take, effectively, is uh, a good press conference in which the redeployment of the existing institutions of the European Union is announced. The announcement effect on its own is going to have a significant impact on alleviating those four crises that I mentioned before. If, if subsequently, within the, next, in the first week, two weeks, month, there is a second announcement about the long-term um, plans for a universal basic dividend, for um, a carbon tax which uh, funds uh, the um, support of maintainers, as we call them, within their communities. Uh, that uh, announcement effect will, in my view, have a major unifying effect across Europe. Suddenly, all those disillusioned Europeanists are going to come out of the woodwork and there will be a sense of excitement and a sense of unity that we haven't seen in Europe for quite a long while. Now, regarding your question about Senegal, 
about mm. the ways in which we define uh, those who deserve um, uh, the, you know, the, the benefits of the universal, universal basic dividend. That's, that's an interesting, a hugely important question. Allow me to say that, well, as, a, as, as an idealist, I would like to think that uh, the whole of humanity should at some point be sharing equally the dividends from the rise of the machines. But of course, this cannot happen at the beginning. At the beginning, we will need to, to uh, as you said, uh, introduce legislation and changes in corporate law that uh, uh, mirror, to a very large extent, that which is already happening in the European Union. So when, for instance, the European Union is uh, um, calculating the tax that Google or Apple must pay within the European Union as a minimum uh, before uh, the European Union considers uh, punitive action against those American multinationals, these mechanisms can be reproduced in order to work out one very simple thing. How much of uh, Google's capital, you know, the investment into its search engine or whatever, uh, is um, producing goods and services that are being sold in the European Union. And calculate the amount of dividends that um, uh, Google is earning from its European Union markets. And on the basis of that, uh, you know, come up with, with, with a figure on uh, how many of the shares of Google should be considered to be part of the European Union's sovereign fund from which the universal basic dividend of European citizens is calculated. Well, uh, I think that uh, we're going to wrap it up there. We said we had a lot of ground to cover today. We covered a lot and, of ground. And we did cover a lot of ground. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of uh, us at Project Syndicate, uh, you know, it's been a, a delight to have you writing for us. And, and uh, we, uh, we're very uh, uh, grateful that you uh, participated in this podcast today. Um, so thank you for joining us, Giannis. I'm looking forward to the next conversation. Okay. Okay, well, that's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, be sure to rate and review our podcast and subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes.